I, um, I don't know whether it's possible to cultivate the style. Nobody is precisely what they think they are. Maybe in the last moments of my life, moments of my life, I will be curious to know what it means to die. Welcome to Folk Phenomenology. My name is Sam Rocha. This is episode eight of season two, featuring special guest Jen Morrison. Folk Phenomenology is generously supported by Whippenstock Publishers, Voice and Truth, from Biblical Studies to Classic Theology, Poetry to Philosophy, our authors are experts, scholars, and artists. St. Mark's College Center for Christian Engagement, nurturing the dialogue between Christians in the life of the academy and that of larger society. Give us this day daily prayer for today's Catholic, Solidarity Hall, Eden plus Utopia, Black Catholic Messenger, an online publication for Black Catholics, U.S. Catholic, Faith and Real Life, Commonweal Magazine, the leading lay voice for commentary on religion, politics, and culture, the Juan Diego Network, Catholic Audio for Latinos. To support Folk Phenomenology, please share this episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite app or platform, and leave a review or drop a tip. You can also follow Folk Phenomenology on Twitter and Facebook. Jen, welcome to Folk Phenomenology. Oh, thank you for having me, Sam. Yeah. Um, well, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a good while now. We share an alma mater. Yes. Uh, yeah. And um, I don't know that there's a quick pivot from that shared alma mater to some shared, uh, we might say, uh, critical dispositions with regard to our shared alma mater. Um, I don't know if anyone, uh, to be kind of serious here, I don't know if anyone though has made good on the kind of criticism that uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville that we're talking about uh, has the kind of scrutiny it's needed to be put under than you have. I mean, you know, your journalism, your reporting, your writing, uh, your voice on that. I don't know how you want to introduce yourself, but that's how I was introduced uh, to you. Sure. Um, why don't you go ahead and take the floor, though, and uh, add to that or expound okay. on that or whatever you'd like. Sure. Um, my name is Jen Morrison, and I'm a freelance journalist. Um, I have written about Franciscan University, which is my alma mater, a few times. Uh, In certain circles, that's what I'm known for. In others, I just write a lot of different things on different topics. This year has been 
I've written a lot about my own personal health this year, um, as also about COVID. I went through breast cancer, which I never expected to go through. Not that anybody does, but I didn't have any markers. I, there were no warning signs, that sort of thing. So that's been a bit of my focus this year. But as far as our shared common interests, I'm a practicing Catholic, and I did graduate from Franciscan University with a Bachelor of Arts in English and a minor in Human Life Studies. And I was a teacher for many years. Uh, oh. Dr. Sun Yoga would probably be shocked to hear that. <laughs> um, however, uh, you know, since having kids, I kind of was able to lean into what I always wanted to be, which was a writer. And uh, that's where I've been. Um, yeah, so I write all sorts of things, but I have written for Catholic Press. I've written for National Catholic Reporter, many articles. I've done a few pieces for America Magazine. I'm trying to think of any other... I owe something to U.S. Catholic, but we won't. Uh -huh. <laughs> Hopefully nobody. <laughs> I know. I'm the worst. <laughs> Terrible. But other than that, yes. So, well, and, and, and in fairness, I've also written in the secular press about aspects yeah. of our faith. I wrote a piece on natural family planning, of all things, for Cosmopolitan magazine. And I wouldn't say it went viral, like, in a Kardashian way, but... Um, sure. It was, it was shared, um, I think it was something like 300,000 times, which is, you know, yeah. I mean, some out of morbid curiosity, I think. Um, uh, others' admiration that such a piece was in Cosmo. It's obviously an unexpected outlet for such a story. So, um, but if anybody looks that up, you know, it's interesting. I wrote that now eight, nine years ago. And there's, you know, some, some things even I've learned or experienced that maybe I feel I was even green writing it then as a mother of four. Now I'm a mother of six. Um, sure. Yeah. So anyway, that's me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There, there's a lot there. Yes. Uh, may, maybe I'll add to it. Sure. Um, please. Just because it's been on... Uh, well, all over the news, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Not you specifically, but a very specific uh, provocateur uh, rapper, uh, Kanye West, and yes, uh, stirring up, uh, you know, anti-Semitic uh, narratives. None of them, to my mind, is particularly original. Um, no. But he is repeating, you know, the kind of same old story from any number of different vantage points. I, I recall uh, whenever his uh, Jesus is King, is that his his album that came out? I think so. Yeah. Uh, I recall whenever that came out, because there were some folks in Catholic land who were just, mm -hmm. you know, fainting over, oh, this is great. He is one of us now or what have yes. you. Yes. Holding and, church, I can't remember. Uh, Sunday service, Sunday service. Yeah, yeah. I re I, re I recall back then uh, being fairly critical of the whole thing, and mm -hmm. uh, 
and, and not not being well received for it i i hope now that <laughs> uh that people can see maybe a bit more through what's now become kind of a transparent uh yeah. at least to most people um set of issues um but kanye is not by any means the originator nor even the most effective maybe purveyor of anti-semitism within the roman catholic uh media uh we've seen the chesterton folks very recently mm -hmm. uh sharing chesterton's anti-semitism and then doubling tripling and quadrupling down on it uh so on and so forth and um so this uh concern you i just i read your your thread today uh, about it sure. um which was about a few different things um but in particular about your own personal you know ancestry and relationship uh to uh well the harm that anti-semitism does to you personally and uh i think it's important to talk about this and i think it's important to talk about this not only as a way to ra raise awareness but also to think together a little bit about just how difficult uh sometimes these identities are but i suppose i've added to your already thorough introduction i'll let you flesh sure. it out a bit more if you want and we can go from there sure. um yes i have jewish ancestry my biological my birth mother was jewish born to jewish immigrants um and so i'm in kind of a weird position and always have been because i was baptized when i was three so certainly it wasn't I, i'm not a, an adult convert i'm not even a teenage convert you know um, that being said, I did not experience anti-Semitism in the way that practicing Jews do. I didn't attend services. I did not have, you know, I was not bat mitzvahed. Um, however, it's kind of a weird, I don't even know if I say, uh, my feet are in two different worlds at all. I mean, I, I've always been very proud to be Jewish. I always thought it was cool. I don't know if that's just my my nature of, of liking to be just a little bit different, you know, which is, I think a lot of people are like that. That being said, um, being a Catholic woman with Jewish heritage has been eye-opening. Um, when I, it sounds ridiculous, but when I first wrote uh, about Franciscan University and my alma mater. I had a wonderful experience there myself. But when I first wrote about it, um, about specifically criticisms of how they mishandled sexual assault cases involving students, um, I was accused by a Catholic news agency of being funded by George Soros. Now, at the time, the editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn, swore up and down he had no idea that I had Jewish ancestry. But the, the um, I don't even know what to call it, a rumor or a lie, just fantasy, persisted and uh, continued with some other conservative Catholic media, including Crisis Magazine. And it was interesting because people who were on the periphery, but just mysteriously also happened to be Catholic women 
who had Jewish ancestry, Simka Fisher, uh, Rebecca Bratton Weiss, and Don Eden Goldstein, got lumped in with me um, in that particular story, but also about some other stories. And, and um, it, it's ludicrous. It, it's, it's, it, it would be funny if it weren't for the fact that it's extremely dangerous right. um, rhetoric. And so, you know, that, that kind of exposure, being raised Catholic, I didn't encounter, and I believe I said this to, to Gloria Purvis when we spoke for the America uh, magazine right. podcast. Right. I, I didn't experience personally anti-Semitism until I was 19 years old. And it came from my boyfriend at the time. Huh. And, and it was so, you know, we were, we were somewhere, we were praying the rosary. It was at a, an event. And this man came up and started ranting about the Jews and how they control the banks. I mean, and just, just tinfoil hat stuff. You know, I'd never, it never occurred sure. to me that that was something that people really believed still. Um, and after this man scuttled off, my then boyfriend, um, not for much longer, said, well, you know, it's true. And I was like, buddy, like I, I'm Jewish. Like my mother was Jewish. What are you talking about? And he was like, well, no, it's fine. Cause you were baptized. Like that got washed away. And I was like, oh, that's what? Like my brain couldn't even compute, you know? Um, because I think my parents might've been, might've done too good of a job, you know, just, um, shielding me from that and, and making me appreciate my roots and, and where I came from. So, um, yeah, I, I think that it's been eye opening. Um, and unfortunately there's this growing, and I do believe it's growing, um, movement within the Catholic church of harkening back to traditionalism, at least in the American Catholic church, I can only speak to that. Um, people who are very, into the Latin mass, which is beautiful. Like I have absolutely no problem with that, but for whatever reason, it seems to come with denying the doctrine of the faith, you know, that says, Hey, look, no, we do not believe that the Jews killed Christ. You know, that we're all responsible for that. Um, we acknowledge our part in, the oppression of the Jewish people, you know, and, and I guess, you know, when it comes down to it, it's been very eye opening for me, maybe not, a, I don't know, not in a good way, certainly, but also at the same time, I feel like sunlight being the best disinfectant huh. to have these conversations and talk about it. So, yeah, I, uh, it's so funny. I, um, I recall being in Austria uh, studying mm -hmm. at Franciscan uh, yeah. during the time when Mel Gibson's uh, The Passion came out. Yes. And uh, we attended, I mean, this is going to get all the, <laughs> all the points. Uh, <laughs> we attended a, a screening because it wasn't yet released in Europe mm. of The Passion uh, put on by the Legionaries of Christ. Wow, you're just hitting it all. <laughs> I know, that's what I said. I mean, yeah. it's just like, yeah. And uh, and to boot, this was the unedited version that had did not remove the scene, the the deeply anti-Semitic scene that actually was 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 edited out of the final 
draft. And I recall people uh, explicitly talking about how, you know, this was the not PC, which meant good, you know, uh, true, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. uh, Version. But um, I'm going to add one more thing to the pile because I also think that apart from the question of just personal identity, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, some of the investigative research you've done on, for instance, the complexity of Maximilian Kolbe. I recall uh, the Polish, you know, saint in the Catholic Church uh, who uh, has been a bit mythologized in some ways as all the saints are, but Mm. in ways that... uh, overlook and don't take into full account you know his full uh personality and obviously in those cases as well um because there's something of a cycle here it's uh you know within white the operations of white supremacy within like anti-blackness there's this kind of white lash thing which is you know um racism is almost most apparent in reaction to some kind of redress of wrongdoing or some kind of you know uh consciousness raising regarding historical harm and i think that in some ways you can see this cycle in your own investigative reporting and your own kind of advocacy uh mm-hmm. where it's like like you said before the moment you raise this issue all of a sudden soros is invoked you and other um uh, catholic women with jewish ancestry heritage are all grouped together and of course, whenever you dig underneath that into the real gross stuff, and there is real gross stuff, you know, unfortunately, yes. you know, you get, you get just full on, full on, full blown anti-Semites who are actually just throwing around the K word and all kinds of other stuff. And yeah. as you know, you know, they're there. Um, and so then you have to see all that stuff too. I mean, this backlash cycle, I guess, is what I'm trying to describe. Sure. Um, Maybe you could say a bit more about the Maximilian Colby stuff, but also maybe a little bit, I don't know if you have any thoughts about, you know, this so-called white lash, as it would be called within anti-black circles, this this kind of anti-Semitic backlash. Well, yeah, so it's been, I think for me, and I've said before, I'm grateful, as weird as it sounds, to have this, just tiny taste of what it must be like, you know, because for me, I mostly move about this world in my daily life, my interactions as a white woman. I am, I, you know, I I go to the grocery store, you know, most normal people wouldn't maybe necessarily even clock me as having any Jewish heritage. Um, White supremacists are really good at it. I have no idea why, but it's fascinating. That being said, um, I'm grateful to have that because I can, it's it's given me a, just the smallest glimpse into what it must be like um, for people of color. I, I Like I said before, I don't attend services. I go to Catholic church. I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. worried that my children are in shul and there's going to be a, a gunman. I'm not, you know. Sure. Um, but when it comes to, oh, excuse me, I don't know what that's for. That's I okay. apologize. Um, <laughs> oh, it was for you. <laughs> was, this is 8.45. Sorry, we moved it up. <laughs> um, so, you know, with the Maximilian Colby stuff, I think what most, 
what strikes me the most is, you know, we are, we're Catholics. We believe we have the fullness of truth. However, so many people are terrified to be honest, mm. to just say, look, this man did this admirable, amazing thing. And I said, I think at the time it was a huge to do, um, on Twitter. I honestly don't even, I mean, I ended up blocking so many people, but <laughs> I even said in my thread that day, it was his feast day, August 14th. I said, I personally do not have the bravery to do what that man did. I know that I don't. I don't have it in me to give my life for another person. But that doesn't change the damage done either. And it's okay to talk about that. It's okay to right. say, look, this was a heroic person who did an above and beyond thing, who gave his life for another person. However, what he, it does not make what he said okay. It does not make it admirable. Um, and I feel that way too sometimes. Um, my own parish, for example, where I grew up, um, was established in 1741 uh, the, by the Jesuits. It was owned by the Jesuits. They owned slaves. They owned human beings. Yeah. And it's important, it's vital, it's necessary to say that and to apologize, to say this was wrong, that there are people who are buried on the church property who owned other human beings. And I, I feel like people are so terrified to admit that because it removes this, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Just, no, this person was so amazing and wonderful. You can't say that. So instead they lean into racism or, or anti-Semitism. Uh, there was an article, I, I couldn't tell you what publication it was in, but I mean, it was, it was finally removed, but where this man was just waxing poetically about this amazing, um, amazing person who had had these children. Um, it was a, a slave, this enslaved person who had their enslaver's children, but it was okay because they became priests. And it was like, oh my God, like, no, it is objectively evil. It is, this is vile. You can't whitewash this. And I think that that might be the root of it. I, I think it's just this fear, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I, I certainly struggle with recognizing that and, and struggle in my own faith journey, you know, but at the same time, you have to, you have to be honest it, it, because it's not, if, if you're not honest, then, then you don't really believe in the fullness of truth because you're afraid of it, you know, and, and you're willing to, to bury the truth, you know, for a greater good. And that's, as we see with so many things is disastrous, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, calling out the Catholics who, on the one hand, claim to be, you know, in the uh, in the truth business, and on the other hand, can't find a way to be honest about. Yeah. What was it things. truthiness? I feel like that was a buzzword. Yeah, I don't yeah. I mean, I think that's an effective uh, response to them. I do think sometimes, though, that like 
maybe this is just how over I am the like like the Catholic attachment to truth is clearly not a historical uh, reality oh. right um, right uh, that hasn't you know even the people who want to take it really seriously even they'll admit it's it's kind of metaphysical it's kind of like it's very abstract and and those senses for theology for you know these things I suppose it's um, it's a thing but it doesn't really have a, a whole lot of uh, consequence in uh, social and political uh, life which is where the moral life is for the most part uh, to be found I would say um, sure so maybe I'm just fed up with that but you know yeah that's 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 true that's an effective thing for Catholics but anti-semitism anti-blackness racism uh, these are in a way Catholics are not so much like inventing new forms of evil they're just participating in in you know to, to me it's the countercultural thing because you know we went to Steubenville you know there, there was this idea that you know we were the we were the most countercultural we were the generation of uh, in the world but not of it yeah exactly oh, yeah. and and yeah. we had the perfect mix for you know radical orthodoxy or whatever it was called and, dynamic. Um, dynamic orthodoxy dynamic orthodoxy yeah. that's right that's right dynamic orthodoxy um, you know, to me, uh, there was always this feeling of like, you know, we're so, so, so unique yes. yet all of these, uh, forms of harm and wrongdoing are very kind of common features of the wider world. Like, you know, um, you know, anti-Semitism, uh, Catholicism has distinguished itself and in, in, in really in many ways just following a whole set of, you know, wider Christian tropes about Judaism and, and sure. Jews. And obviously there are some exceptions, Nostra Aetate, Second Vatican Council, some, some clear reversals and changes from the top of the hierarchy. Right. Um, but clearly it's not making its way down. Uh, another uh, interesting person to talk about I'm just recalling that uh, back whenever Rod Dreher's uh, Benedict Option book came out. Right. Um, yeah. I just noticed that like there were quite a few people who were full-blown ethno-state white supremacists who took his argument that we should leave society and create our own to be an argument for eth white ethno-state yes. nationalism, right? Yeah. Um, and he's since left to Hungary to kind of weirdly be doing something like that i don't know what it is he's up to but at any rate um i recall that uh of all the things i said about his book and i said a lot of things about his book uh, it's bad history you know cherry picking not really related to the ideas he said they were mm -hmm. i noted way towards the end that like oh and white supremacists seem to be really like into this that's yeah. concerning right and yeah. he flipped. He just lost it, right? You know there. Um, mm. But again, it, to me, what's so interesting here is that people will turn to Catholics not for an original supply of evil, but really, Catholics are just very pedestrian users of the same kinds of evil that we find. Yeah. And this isn't to say that Catholics are in a way um, less culpable. 
nor are they more culpable though. I mean, I, I almost feel like there's a kind of exceptionalism, at least that I was pretty well steeped in, that I'm kind of over now. Like I it's not mm -hmm. it's not clear to me that uh that the Catholic's concern for truth, for instance, is uh right. is any different from anybody else's concern for truth, frankly. Well, we're not hearing it from the pulpit. Um, sure. And it's interesting because I can, I grew up in a very orthodox, if you want to go by, you know, Franciscan University standards, and I don't mean I'm not picking on them. It's just that that was, you know, you went sure. to college there and, and your parents felt that's you're gonna get you know you they don't have to worry it it wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. wasn't a Notre Dame or you know yeah. whatever um or by the way just know. for our um Jewish listeners uh the word orthodox is getting thrown around here oh, uh, fair, it fair, doesn't fair, mean fair. <laughs> uh it and also for our orthodox uh Christian yeah. <laughs> listeners we're using the word in a very maybe in-group uh, way. Yeah, here, what I would think. be the I, faith, the faithful to the magisterium, right? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, of yeah. course, then that's just it might as well be probably good. But yeah, so you know, I grew up hearing what would be considered bold, you know, homilies. We're gonna talk about, uh, I don't know, birth control or abortion or. Um, that's kind of it, honestly. I can't think of any other good examples. <laughs> Not having girl altar servers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Husband, actually, it's kind of funny. But that being said, you know, I think, and it's still to this day, but it seems to be this more, um, I'm just thinking of, of like Catholic answers, right? Um, which is a fairly large looked to organization hey, they have the answers, right? It's like right in the name, yeah. you know, yeah, like yeah, how yeah. hard could this be? It's just, but you know, they saying things about, well, priests aren't, they're not bold enough to, to speak truth, right? From the pulpit or sure. the bishops or certain bishops or whatever, aren't bold enough to speak truth. Well, but I mean, I, honest to goodness, I've never heard a homily on racism. Sure. Um, I did, I can tell you, I've heard homilies about homophobia, um, but that was at the quote unquote, you know, liberal <laughs> parish yeah. that didn't have kneelers and, you know, you know, so I think, you know, you hear it so much, well, they're afraid to speak truth, afraid to speak truth, but I, I'm left wondering, what are you doing? You've got these, these rogue individuals um, who are saying things that are just, I, I can't even describe, or supporting political candidates or, sure. um, I don't know, pulling political stunts with, uh, you know, stillborn. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. right. But, but there's not a word about it. A, a priest standing on the roof of a church and, and spewing <laughs> racist nonsense, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. okay, mm, I don't know. I, I feel like, not, not, that, not that we aren't all adults and can come up with our own, you know, like conclusions and stuff, but I also feel like there is a lack of addressing these things. And, you know, about 
I mean, it's been over 10 years. The first time that I encountered, uh, what was it? The Society of St. Pius X, right? Okay. And it was before they finally booted Bishop Williamson, one of the five, right? Five total bishops that had been ordained by uh, Archbishop Lefebvre. You know, because he was like, eh, the Holocaust didn't really happen. And they were like, you know, we probably don't need you in our public relations, thanks. But that being said, they had this document, and it was called The Mystery of the Jews. It's still available, actually, on the Canadian website. It's not in the American website. But they spoke of the perfidy of the Jewish people, that the Jewish people were born with a different ingrained greed. Um just insane, horribly awful, ridiculous nonsense. And I remember because I had friends that I went to Franciscan University with who had moved towards this, um, whether they, you know, I don't know if their parents got into it or whatever, and they just, because the, the reverence, right? The reverence sure. for the Eucharist, um, the Latin mass, et cetera, et cetera. And I finally just said to one of them, I said, do you know this? Because God's honest truth, I thought, if she knew this, she would never. She would never. And she wrote me back and said, oh, you mean that it's true? Oh, God. And I said, I'm Jewish. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, and that was that. Now, she felt badly. She was embarrassed, but not because she believed it, just because she said it to me, you know? Right. Um, so it's, it's a thing. Um, I wonder if there's something really unique here though. Um, okay. cause I have a lot of, I mean, I, I you know, Mexican American, neither Mexican yeah. nor American. I live in Canada. So, I mean, I know identities. Well, you add all that. those U's to your words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and A's and Z instead of Z and, you know. Oh gosh. And you say, um, okay, but I will say you have have to take issue with how they say nachos and taco yeah i know the a's are are an issue mazda yeah uh it's a lot (laughs) yeah the thing though is that like so i get that identity is difficult and not you know not black or white um and so i think that you know we could for instance say like let's talk about what exactly it means to to be Jewish and and not be Jewish, to be Catholic and not be Catholic or whatever. But, you know, it's actually pretty, um, there are these really fascinating cases. There's a a short story I I talk about probably too much just because it sticks out to me. It's by Langston Hughes. It's called Mother. And it's a a letter from a white passing uh, black man Mm -hmm. to his non-white passing mother saying hey thanks so much for um not saying anything to me when you saw me on the sidewalk the other day and um Mm. from there it goes on to distill really this um unique uh presence that he was able to uh have as a white passing black man yeah um and the reason I bring it up is that, like, there is something kind of interesting here, not just at the level of complexity of identity, but that as a 
Jewish person and a Catholic person different ways and in different measures and whatever that means, you in a way have the opportunity to hear forms of anti-Semitism that a very Jewish presenting person would probably never hear. And it's not to yeah. say, obviously, you also don't hear certain yeah. forms of anti-Semitism that a very Jewish presenting person would hear. And I get that. Right. But, you know, I've been in, uh, I always say this is one of the unfortunate things about being like, I don't know, Catholic and, and not white, I guess, is you'll you'll find yourself in a group of like new friends or sometimes it's even been hosts or whatever and you know you have a couple drinks and people are starting to feel nice and and speak very freely and all of a sudden for me you know it's like someone will use the expression the mexicans and it's just like oh please like that record scratch moment like it was just like we were having such a good nice time i didn't really need to know you're a person who says right you know it's it's such a bummer for me it's just like oh gosh you know, because then I have to decide, like, do I say, hey, I'm Mexican, or well, do I like say... you want to know, because of course you do. I mean, yeah. Like, you I, want it not to be true. Yeah, it's well, it's just super inconvenient, because I was probably having a nice time, you know, and it's just like, why, why, why? Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, and even there, there can be nuance and whatever. But what I'm saying is that, like, I think there's something unique here where precisely because of your unique difficult complex identity which preserves you in some ways from certain forms of blatant very overt anti-semitism oh also also allows you though to bear witness to certain forms of anti-semitism that are not uh the regular ones that people are submitted to normally and that reveal of course anti-semitic aspects within our own shared common faith of Catholicism. Well, you know, there's, so it even took me some time to wrap my brain around it. And I, cause I even was like, I don't quite understand. (laughs) Even sometimes I'd be like, I know what you're saying is totally anti-Semitic. I just can't quite put my finger on it. And so there's, there's there's two pieces which make it very, there's, there's nothing like it. I mean, there just isn't, you know, being Jewish is both a faith and an ethnicity, right? Right, right, right. So most of the anti-Semitism within Catholics is a faith-based anti-Semitism to where they, I mean, it's still anti-Semitic as as all get out. Don't get me wrong. Sure, sure. But basically the idea that, well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're icky, but you could be purified. You know, there's, there's, right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah. for those still practicing the faith, whereas there are certainly people in this world, and, and I'm not, there are Catholics who think this too, don't get me wrong, because I was sure. baptized as a three-year-old child. Yeah. I know nothing else, you know? I mean, yeah, I, did, yeah, yeah. I did go to Jewish nursery school because I lived with my Jewish grandfather. I was the only baptized kid probably in the history of the yeah. United school. <laughs> I know, I, I don't know. It always makes me laugh, but... That being said, to these people, nothing, nothing, it doesn't matter. I mean, I could, nothing. It doesn't matter that I've had all my sacraments, that my children are all baptized. I'm a converso. I'm, you know, I, I, I somehow, there's some deep seated evil within me, you know, yeah. that, which is to me always makes me laugh because I'm like, so you're so Catholic, but yet 
the sacrament of baptism is clearly not sure good enough for you. Cute, very lovely. Yeah. So there's those two things. So I mean, it kind of relates almost in a way for me to like um, it's called uh, philosemitism. I'm not sure if, you know, when it comes and you get really deep into the evangelicals and the post-dominionists and they're like, no, we love Israel. We love Jews. We just sure. want you all to move there and die so that Jesus yeah, yeah. can come back. What's so yeah, wrong yeah. with that? You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I do, which, which is why I get frustrated because if I speak out about it, um, there's a lot of gaslighting that happens, you know, sure. I mean, sure. I'm not, this You're stuff, not even Jewish. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah. with Catholic news agency. Yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately it's not, give me a break. Like it wasn't the first time or the last time that I experienced antisemitism. It didn't hurt me. I mean, yes, it did. Don't get me wrong. It, it didn't feel great. But ultimately, who it hurt were the victims of sexual assault that Catholic News Agency decided right. to completely just pave over for the sake of being anti-Semitic bigots, you know, sure. and Crisis Magazine for, you know. But it's, you know, it's, it's a thing. And, and so having, having that happen and, and like straddling both worlds, you know, like, like you were saying, you're right, I don't, ex I don't experience except for from some hardcore um, people, but they're just miserable. I mean, they're the people who argue about, I, I, it's, it's not funny, but it is funny. The funniest thing I ever witnessed was this guy, these people arguing, this, this um, man who was of Slovakian heritage was like, no man, I'm totally a white nationalist. And they're like, you're not white. <laughs> <laughs> And they're yeah. like, you're not white. And he's like, no, I, I hate Jews. I hate, you know, yeah, I hate yeah. everybody who's not white. And they're like, you're not white. You can't, you can't sit with us. It's just, I mean, and ultimately that's how ridiculous all of these people sound when you distill it down, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, just the yeah, same. Well, I mean, as what there you're... is no such thing as a white person. Right. I know. Just this nonsense about you're saying these people railing against the Mexicans and you're like, cool story. What the hell, you know, like, yeah. Just trying to have a beer. Yeah, yeah pretty it's, much. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder, turning uh, from this mm -hmm. topic, you know, another thing that I don't know if it surprised me, but it's a theme that we've talked with some other folks, Kea Oaks and a few others. Mm -hmm. uh, you said you always wanted to be a writer. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, I say I always wanted to be a writer. I think I've always just been a writer. Okay. Um, what's the difference there? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's just my own experience. It's, you know, started when I was really young because, you know, I, I lost my mom and then I, I, she died when I was three and my dad couldn't take care of me. And I just wrote, I wrote in journals. I wrote, you know, um, I wrote when I was mad. I wrote when I was happy. I wrote letters to the editor I don't I don't know I I just this kind of just you know I was a musician as well I I uh, was a concert pianist um and for a very brief decade I wanted to be a rock star but I think that I think songs maybe were too confined lyrics 
Sure. Uh, I, I bloviate, as you can obviously tell. I, I, I can't be confined to a few verses and a bridge and a chorus. It's just <laughs> not going to happen. So uh, I think that I, you know, I mean, I credit a lot of it actually to my teachers as well, whether in high school or, or college even, mostly just I had a lot to say. And when I speak off the cuff, it's not, it's not always, or I think I've gotten better in my um, middle age than I used to be. You know, I, I used to be very black and white, very, well, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong, which sure. is very embarrassing, um, especially when you're somebody with a big mouth. But, you know, I think writing has always just given me the chance to put something away for a minute and, and really think before I speak. Whereas a lot of times if mm. somebody asks my opinion, I just go off. Like I said, I've gotten a lot better about that. <laughs> I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think more and more I, I share your, um, your disposition to writing as a chance to kind of think. I used yeah. to, when I was younger, be really into this, very fancy French theory idea that writing is the thinking as you're doing it. It's all one thing that, you know, I'm, my thoughts are seamlessly coming out as I write. And so I don't write in the way of the, those who plan out their thoughts and then type them yeah. down kind of a thing. And, and now I'm kind of like, okay, that was cool. But uh, yeah, I think working in editorial relationships and uh, I guess just doing the work, I've done at least for as long as I've done it now, I, 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 I treasure the opportunity to work over a sentence a few times, you know, mm. uh, yeah. you know, to, to wait and to pause. Um, there's a hastiness sometimes. Uh, and this might seem kind of weird in relationship to what we were talking about before. Because mm -hmm. on the one hand, the gaslighting and the overt, racism and anti-Semitism and all those things are, are, are really bad. And you kind of want to gaslighting is a way of delaying things in a way or, or, you know, yeah. uh, keeping you busy. But then on the other hand, I don't think the alternative to that is just some kind of a mindless rush to judgment in every case on every, you know, I'm thinking about in particular here, some of the investigative journalism you do where it's not just writing, but, an mm -hmm. enormous amount of fact checking and source, yeah. you know, because, you know, there are some issues in not only Catholic media, but especially in Catholic media with just like it, journalistic ethics, uh, yeah. practices of integrity related to that. Uh, are those things, are those also chances to delay or, you know, because they sound like it to me and it. Sounds yeah, appealing. let me. Can I can I put you on pause for a second? Yes, you I may. just need to switch rooms. I'm so sorry. All right, sweet. Let me just go. And in the first time for folk phenomenology, we are <laughs> back <laughs> with Jen Morrison. Uh, we were talking about uh, journalism moving from, I guess, writing to yes, yeah. So it's mm, it's kind of funny. But I feel like, um, so when I, when I was in college, I did, um, I did a, a lot of courses. I, I initially was a communications major. Um, 
I had switched. It's kind of funny, but I had this teacher and he was so cranky and he scared me. Um, Mr. Engler, he was terrible, but it was only for freshman English. And then, I mean, I, I left, I was like, I can't major in English. I'm terrified of this man. I can't take 17 courses with him or whatever. <laughs> and then I ended up back with him and actually he's one of my favorite teachers, weirdly. Um, but I switched to communications for a bit and did TV and radio, which I was terrible at. But anyway, um, you know, kind of got a bit of the journalism there. Uh, I feel like with Catholic media, when it comes to ethics, it's interesting because, and this is true of any media, you know, the current state of media where you have investors and you're beholden to them and you can't make things look bad or whatever. And I know, um, I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, I'll just be completely upfront about my own experiences with Catholic news agency. I mean, they had a fiduciary relationship with Franciscan University. So there was a massive incentive for them to discredit me. You know, it's interesting. I don't, I'm not primarily a Catholic journalist, although obviously I have written for Catholic media. My first experience with National Catholic Reporter was when I had what I thought was one story that completely became nearly the opposite. Um, it was my first story for them, and it was about uh, the then Bishop Olmsted. He was then Bishop of the Diocese of Phoenix, and someone had come to me with information that he was supporting Sheriff Joe Arpaio. I think oh, yeah. that's how you say Yeah. And I thought, well, this needs to be investigated. And I did investigate it. And it turns out that it was the opposite. Sheriff Joe Arpaio was uh, using Bishop Olmsted's image um, illicitly without his permission. It was oh, wow. very upsetting to the bishop wow. that he was being used as, to promote these horrible prison camps. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and so I was able to tell that story. You know, I don't blame people for their distrust. Certainly we've had enough experiences where you hear something and you think this is a reputable source. Um, and yet maybe it wasn't even intentional, but you know, it turns out the whole truth hasn't been revealed. Um, but I always respected uh, the then editor, you know, for, for, just saying, wow, yeah, that's that's a very different story. And going with it, there was no, oh shoot, we wanted to make this conservative bishop look bad at sure, all. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, so a lot of the discrediting that I got, aside from the obvious ridiculousness of being a George Soros operative, yeah. <laughs> just still laugh about that. But anyway, was that um you know, oh, well, it's NCR. They just, they're liberal. They want to make yeah, yeah, yeah. bad fish wrap, et cetera, et cetera. And that, I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth to their credit, you know? Sure. Whereas I think some of people might be surprised the outlets that they consider reliable. They just aren't, you know, they have other, and I don't, I don't necessarily know the answer because certainly you have to pay the bills. You have to keep the lights on, but yeah. Yeah, it's not sustainable, the current situation. Well, to me, it's just pretty bonkers just because uh, 
like I'm not a journalist and I don't consider myself one. And just because I write for, you know, periodicals or whatever from time to time doesn't mean mm -hmm. I think of myself that way. But like, we have pretty rigorous ethics around conflicts of interest in particular. Yeah. And disclosures. Really? Yes. Within, you know, our, 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 our work that gets published and funding agencies and grant funding and stuff like that. And basically the principle is everything and anything has to be disclosed. Uh, there are some standards of what counts as arm's length and stuff like that when it comes to review and peer review and stuff. And I suppose there's some gray areas, but like, no, I, I've, I've spoken to some journalists who know the academic standards and they say, if the, if we, if we held ourselves to those standards, we would, no one would talk to us. Um, uh, yeah. We would have no ability to not only pay bills, but also acquire sources and stuff like that. Okay. So I guess I'm, I guess I'm sympathetic to the fact that this is a different game and different funding models, different modes of acquiring data, I guess. Mm. But at the same time, uh, I don't know. I mean, I just, what do you think about like uh, just conflict of interest, just standards of disclosure, arm's right. length for review, uh, people recusing themselves. For, so for instance, like on admissions committees, even, you know, Right. If a former student of yours is popping up in admissions, you know, it's common just to be like, I'm recusing myself for this because I obviously have a conflict of interest. Everyone's like, right. cool, you know, does this happen in, in the yeah. press rooms out there or? <laughs> well, I'm, you know, since I'm independent, I'm, yeah. answer, I'm not, I've not actually ever worked in a press room sure. um, at this point in my career. That being said, there are standards, um, Standards, definitely general standards, but then there's also, I mean, I have personal standards as well. For example, you know, I have written a lot of stories of clergy abuse of, um, in, in Catholic priests specifically, my personal standard is I'm not writing about something without the expressed permission of the victim. Sure. Now, there's certainly, and I don't, I don't um, fault anybody for this. There's certainly things that are newsworthy that demand to be public information for me personally. Sure. That's my line. So if, if I stumble across something as frustrating as it might be to me, um, because I do feel like these stories are important to be told. Yeah. I feel like that's, you know, they're, they, somebody who's been a victim of that has the right to their own story even if maybe i'm like oh my gosh you have to share yeah. this you know yeah. if that's something that that needs to be um on their own for me uh, you know as far as i know what you're saying like about academics and um standards versus journalistic ones there's certainly gray areas i do think that some people maybe are a little more ethically flexible yeah um, yeah but yeah i don't know i mean i i all i can do i guess is just try my best you know certainly there have been stories that maybe were somebody who i was too close to you know and i certainly guide them to somebody else who i might trust to tell sure. their story yeah 
Yeah, because you're right. I mean, there's like, like it kind of reminds me of my daughter is a competitive Irish dancer. Certainly if there were like, you know, her godmother was one of the judges, they, that would not, you know, they'd have to recuse themselves. It's the same, same sort of situation. You're too close to something. Yeah. My, my feeling about Catholic press and Catholic media and I know you're not exclusively a Catholic journalist and I'm not, and I retired, right? I mean, I've, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> you're in Boca. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, uh, my sense is that everyone's too close. Like that, like, yeah. See, that's like the problem is that like, I shouldn't, as someone who's not a journalist, I shouldn't know so much about Catholic media and Catholic journalists and so many people personally. Mm, yeah. And I really honestly think like that's a huge, huge problem is the insularity mm-hmm. of even though it is a global universal church, you and I know that it's not that big, you know, yeah. um, especially for those of us, I think have been raised within it within a very clear set of, you know, uh, institutional and social, you know, mm-hmm. groups. Uh, that's why, like, my feeling about, I don't know if you share this view or not, and, and maybe it's it's underinformed on my part, but, you know, with, with respect to, like, you know, uh, church abuse scandals and stuff, yeah. I think it just needs to go to the public authorities. Oh, gosh. I think it absolutely needs to be just handed over in full to <laughs> as yeah. public and as transparent and as outside of the... You know, all this in-house stuff is, mm-hmm. I just think it's choking down, you know. Well, he, here's the conundrum that I've encountered. And it's my own very limited experience. Um, although I have, you know, talked with some others who have, you know, uncovered this. Or it, even, like, think of the movie Spotlight, right? Sure. I mean, I, was it 2002? I believe it was 2002 when, when... I don't know. Anyway, the point being, you've got a few cogs here. You've got people who, well, I'll only believe it if it's from somebody I trust, like a faithful, faithful publication. So, for example, when I wrote about Franciscan, well, why didn't you publish that in the National Catholic Register? Well, because they had a relationship with Franciscan. Right. There's, it's a, they wouldn't want to make them look bad. They can't, right. you know? Right. Um, so I wrote a story for the New York Times about clergy abuse. Well, it was the New York Times. They, they hate the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's, you know, I mean, I mean, ultimately, yes, there's some people who quite literally could watch it happen before their very eyes and would still justify it. And you just have to let sure. that go. Yeah. But when you have, you know, like what you're saying, like, like, like I said, the Boston Globe, like with Spotlight, I mean, it took years for most Catholics to even accept that that wasn't just a, a manufactured attack on the faith. Yeah. I, I mean, I can remember protesters outside the National I live, live outside D.C. at the Basilica yeah. of the National Shrine and just thinking, oh, they're, at, they're just after money. Like that was the prevailing sure. thought. You know, it's sure. horrifying. It's horrifying. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Which is why, yes, you have to go to these outside authorities. But ultimately, Catholic media, when you think about it, and it kind of goes back to what I said, the first thing I said to you about the truth. Because it's very easy to say or to kind of fall on the slippery slope of 
this isn't about temporal stuff. Like we're talking about salvation of souls. We're talking about eternity. So if we're a Catholic media organization, it's like that, that niggling greater good. And that can really become a stumbling block, you know, sure. for, for people. Um, and, and, you know, in some respects it should be, you should have a healthy respect for that. Um, yeah. But then if it's causing you to shield people or to downplay evil, then it's a big problem, you know? Yeah. I wonder if uh, you could say a few things about, you know, we talked about the Catholic value of truth and about mm -hmm. the moral evils of anti-Semitism and about, you know, standards and journalism and writing and stuff. But I guess, mm -hmm. I guess one thing is, you know, you personally, you said, you know, I have a personal sense of, of ethics that drives you. I wonder if you could say a bit more about your own, just, uh, you know, uh, what's drive, not just what's driving you to the pen, to writing, you know, those yeah. childhood uh, through student stories that you've shared with us. Yeah. But more than that, just like, you know, what's the, what's your concern for truth? What's the, you know, because... You know, one thing that, you know, I think about a lot is like, you know, we don't have to do this stuff. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't, uh, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I think, well, tell you what, it pays a lot better to just write mattress reviews, <laughs> 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 which I do. I mean, I have no, you know, I, I okay. yeah, yeah I mean, I copy, yeah, copyright. yeah, I, I do yeah. copywriting because that's yeah. how I, yeah. that's how I pay for soccer practice, sure. and, you yeah. know, new shoes for the kids, but absolutely as far as, you know, I don't know. I've written a few listicles in my day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of some of the better ones that, yeah, best face creams. It's like, I'm lucky oh, if I'm going to run a bar of ivory across my head. So, you know, I think, I don't know. It's hard. I think that some of it is, and maybe you experience this too, is just personally driven, you know? I guess the ironic thing is that my, my kind of deeply instilled sense of justice and right was formed by the very people who now think that I'm a terrible person. <laughs> so... It's kind of wild. I mean, I, I, I can attribute a lot of the lessons that I learned on justice and mercy and truth to, yeah. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, being formed by Father Giles Dimmick in, in his theology courses, um, Dr. Mark Miravalli, you know, learning from, I, I mean, it's kind of wild that even just professors who, yeah, I, it's strange. Um, but those foundations, I, that's why it always kind of surprised me how many people said, oh, well, Jen's just bitter or what a uh, silliness, but it always kind of amused me because I was like, you guys knew me in school. You know that I would never shut up about we need to be doing something about this. We need to be protesting. We need to be fasting or we need to be praying. You know, I mean, I was, I was a loud mouth for Jesus and, and I still am, 
but in ways that I guess it's like, no, not like that, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, when it comes to those sort of things, sometimes too, to be honest, the first story that came, that kind of got dropped in my lap was just a group of alumni, alumni women. And, and, and it was one night we were talking on a, um, what do you call it? Like a group, like, like how we're talking now, zoom or whatever. And she just kind of shared with us like her own experience. And, and we said, oh, that's not okay. It's not okay. What happened to you? Um, and she's, I think her name was Jenny in my first story, because then it came after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's not something I wanted to do. It's not, I, I, in fact, at the time I spent the first almost year trying to find other writers. Um, I don't know if you ever even got my email. He's edited my work since, but you know, Josh McElwee was one of them. I wrote him. I wrote him. I wrote Jason Barry. I wrote, um, I'm trying to think of other, you know, people who had covered clergy abuse. I emailed them and I said, look, this is, this is something that's happening. Would you write about this? And I didn't hear from anybody until finally I said, okay, I guess I'll write it. Um, I don't want to, I don't have, I'm not on staff. I don't have the connections. I don't have the protections. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of, you know, I'm not always the best at boundaries. Um, my husband will tell you, you know, like, could you please, for the love of all that is holy, let this one go to somebody else. But sometimes you're the one, for whatever reason, you're the only one left. Um, you know, I, I got involved a few years back with immigration work. I'm very new to that. I'm very green. I'm a white girl from the suburbs. I had no idea. Still have only this much of an idea, you know? Um, but it was a thing that was something that people should do. So I did it. Um, maybe I'm impulsive. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe it's my... I don't know. But again, like I said, I really do trace it back to being raised Catholic, which is sometimes frustrating because my old parish became very Trump focused and I didn't understand. And I still don't understand really, because this was the place where I learned about Dorothy Day and, you know, Mother Teresa and I don't, I don't understand it, but I'm still grateful for that education, even if maybe it's unrecognizable today. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Folk Phenomenology Season 2, and special thanks to Jen Morrison. Folk Phenomenology Season 2 is generously supported by Whippenstock Publishers, St. Mark's College Center for Christian Engagement, Give Us This Day, Solidarity Hall, 
Black Catholic Messenger, U.S. Catholic, Commonweal Magazine, and the Juan Diego Network. Be sure to see the show notes for links to our sponsors. Also, please share this episode and subscribe on your favorite app or platform, and also find Folk Phenomenology on Twitter and Facebook. Folk Phenomenology is hosted and produced by Sam Rocha, that's me, with a soundtrack by Aaron Ross Hansen. Now go out and love the world. Delexi Mundum. What is interesting to me, really interesting, and I can't define it, is because it's interesting. I can't say exactly what it is, but it's the most interesting out of the word, concept, idea. My job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Love mm-hmm. is where you find it. Mm-hmm. Where you find it. Mm-hmm. Where you find it. Love mm-hmm. is where you find it. And you don't know where you don't know where it will carry you. And it is a terrifying thing. Love. It's the only human possibility, but it's terrifying. Through the eyes of our ears, we see the beauty of hope. We see the beauty of pain. We see the beauty 